everyone. Welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Christy and Charlie here from CS2. Today's guest, we have Brooke Bartos, and she's the Director of Marketing Ops and Analytics at Invoice Cloud. And we're going to dive into a topic um, that I think a lot of you marketing ops or marketing people will love to hear about, get your notepad ready, and we're going to talk about ways to create a nurture strategy that converts. I'm really focusing on how do we best leverage our content and create a map for that so that we can best educate and engage our prospects and customers throughout the, their life cycle and through the funnel. So welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Great. So I think before we dive into it, I would love to um, have our guests hear a little bit about yourself and your background. And, you know, just recently you started full-time at Invoice Cloud and was previously at an agency. And so I know you're the first marketing ops, like real hire that they have. So we would love to also hear about what that change has been like and for everyone, what it's been like being that first hire and, you know, all the excitement, but also maybe a challenge it is to take that on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess for me, my, my journey in marketing ops really started two job roles ago, uh, about eight years ago now, when I was in-house at a B2B manufacturing organization and really um, got the opportunity to transform our organization from a, a very traditional print trade show constant contact, you know, email blast type of organization uh, up to a, a full-fledged marketing team that was very digital focused. And we, mm. we had moved from Microsoft Click Dimensions and into Marketo during my time there. Uh, so I actually started out in the Marketo space about seven years ago. And really that was what spurred my love for the marketing operations piece. Um, continued in that role in-house. And then, yeah, a little over three years ago, I went to the agency side and I led a marketing operations consulting department for a B2B tech focused agency, uh, Walker Sands based out of Chicago, and really had the opportunity to play in a ton of different tech stacks from late stage startups all the way through enterprise organizations, had a ton of fun doing it along the way, learned exponentially what I probably would have <laughs> in-house. Um, but you know, had an opportunity presented to me to be able to go in-house at an organization where I could have ownership and really start that process at the beginning and build out a marketing function and, you know, start to transform the tech stack as we look for, look at our growth goals going forward. And I've been here four weeks now. It's been an absolute blast so far. Um, and, you know, really excited to, to really take what the team has put in place so far and, and start to put that in a place where we can really hit the gas and, and ramp things up um, and see where we go. I'd love to learn more about what you said when you said exponential growth in learning um, in-house versus agency, because we always talk about that a lot, kind of there's pros and cons to being in-house versus agency and agency, because you're getting so many reps in, you're able mm -hmm. to just really grow your skill set because you're seeing it in all these orgs and over and over and over again what was was that your experience is that why you felt like you got exponential learning growth at an agency yeah I think the biggest thing with the agency side you get so many at bats and for me I was often managing a client load of probably eight to ten clients at a time and so what you take and you learn from one organization, you start to see the same issues come up as you move along. And especially being there, you know, a couple of years, 
you see the same challenges, you hear some of the same issues and, you know, it might have a new twist on it, but you start to have things to draw from. And all of a sudden your, your experience and your knowledge base is growing because you've got this prior experience where if you were to have done it in-house, you have one tech stack, you have one go-to-market strategy, you have one set of business goals and that, you know, you have to tap into external resources. Once you've done that in an agency world where now you've got, okay, seven clients in the last two years worth that have had this issue to draw from, you've got different sets of experience mm-hmm. and your frame of thinking starts to change. It's not so much, how do I get to this end goal? It's how do I get to this end goal in the best possible way for this business? Mm-hmm. And that can be very different. It could be the same challenge, but you might have a very different way to respond to that or different strategy that you put in place because the goals are different. Um, And so for me, from, from an agency side, I think I took a whole lot more from that than I would, I would have had, I spent, you know, three years in-house with, with one stack. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I was even talking about this yesterday with someone. And I do think that also just the pure act of like, like you said, reps, like doing it and really come marketing ops in some ways and rev ops, it comes with a confidence and knowing that you're making the right decisions and mm-hmm. you're thinking, you know, steps ahead and the more you see, and the, and also seeing what doesn't work, right. A lot of the times you're getting brought in to fix yeah. something or rebuild something. You're like, Oh, you know, that definitely doesn't work. Um, whoever, you know, maybe good intentions in mind, but these are the things that could go wrong. And just even the act of seeing everything that can go wrong makes you a better uh, marketing ops person. <laughs> you, can, exactly. you can account for that. <laughs> yeah, I think you did it the right, a really good order. Like you started in house and then you went to agency, right? Um, and then so you're able to probably apply some empathy to your clients because you know the mm-hmm. challenges that they had from when you were working in house. And then now you're going back in house and you bring everything you learned from agency and apply it just to one org and just be hyper-focused on that one stack. So yeah, that, did you feel like that was a, I don't know if you planned it that way, but do you feel like it was a really good order? Yeah. I, you know, in a lot of ways I did kind of plan it that way. I, I always saw myself end goal being back in house someday. I didn't know when that would be. And, you know, I, I loved the agency that I was at and the people that I worked with. I learned so much there. Um, this opportunity just happened to be a, a truly exceptional opportunity that doesn't come along very often. And, uh, But, you know, exactly that. Now I've got both sets of experience to draw from where it's, okay, I've done this digital transformation on my own organization. I've done all of these things for other orgs. You know, now that combined experience brings me um, a whole lot of different perspective coming into a new role than I probably would have otherwise. Totally. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. And that's around nurture. So I think initially to start, I think a good place is, you know, before a marketing team even really creates their nurture strategy, um, what do you think is the first thing they should do to inform their strategy? Like what are the questions they should be asking or thinking about and, and planning? Cause really, I think what we're going to talk about today is there's a lot more work that goes into how you're going to execute your nurture versus like actually putting it in place. And that'll make sure that it's actually effective, but where do you start even before creating the strategy? Well, I think understanding 
what the goal of nurture is to begin with. I think, you know, a really good way to think about it is if you look at something like a, a Marketo or you hear the term nurture, you often see a little plant, right? As your <laughs> something that you're going to water and you're going to feed it and it's going to grow into this beautiful thing. But there's a lot of pieces that really go into play for that. And I think before ever getting started with a nurture, you really need to understand who your audience is because that's going to drive so much of your messaging and content and what your goal is mm-hmm. having a clear picture in mind for both of those things starts to be the driver between the content, the messaging, how we put that in front of our audience, where we put that in front of them, when all of the pieces that go into the actual building, but we have to know the who and the why first. Um, and that's, that's often where, you know, putting, putting some investment into, is this, is this a persona that we're targeting? Is this, you know, are we going a little ABM focused? Is this specific to an industry? Um, what is that? And then what is, what is the end goal? How do we get there? Is it to drive a demo? Is it to get somebody to attend an event or a webinar? You know, maybe we have a softer goal at the end, then, then demos to start to engage in sales conversations, but knowing how to get to that goal starts to give us more of, okay, what do we want this framework or this structure that we're going to start filling in to look like? Totally. So that's usually where I start. Yeah. Do you think that there's a benefit too with like having an overarching goal? So there's maybe goals for like each email to like do a demo or, or, you know, but do you think that there's also value and do you see maybe some people have the wrong goals? So, cause so, and I'll, I'll preface this. Like sometimes our clients are like, oh, our goal of this nurture is to generate more MQLs Mm -hmm. and in some ways. Okay. That's good. At least you're thinking about a goal, but it is, can sometimes also lead them down the wrong path because they're doing things like, you know, pushing too many forms for content in front of the, in front of the prospect. They're not thinking about actually educating them. They're really just like, okay, this like transactional thing of like getting to an MQL. Um, do you see that a lot or have you seen that a lot with your clients, but do you think there's still like a, a, maybe a good overarching goal to your nurture as far as like, I like, you're probably going to talk about this, but the educating them or maybe driving, like, you know, learning about the jobs to be done. If you have a product led like strategy or something like that. That's you hit on it exactly with that. Um, education that should be the goal of every element of your nurture. Even if, if your success is to get a demo, your nurture shouldn't be to badger them into scheduling a demo, right? (laughs) If you send six emails of like, schedule a demo, schedule a demo, schedule a demo, schedule a demo, that is not a nurture. That's an annoyance, right? Um, And so at that point, you really start to turn somebody off. If you think of your nurture as an opportunity to, to create a relationship with your prospect, this is your chance to build um, credibility, Mm -hmm. establish trust and educate that prospective client before they get to that point of, Hey, do you want to schedule a demo? Mm -hmm. If we're asking somebody to schedule a demo, we're asking for their time. We're asking for their information. We need to look at what we've given them in return. And so if, if we kind of think about it in the framework of like a four, one, one type of content rule, we want to make sure that we're putting four pieces of content in front of them that add value to their relationship where we haven't asked for anything in return. 
maybe that's white papers or infographics, a blog article, something like that, but it should be something that has little to no bias, something mm -hmm. that educates them about what we do, why it's important. And in some cases, if we have the ability to help them self-identify their problems before we start to influence them with that, you know, maybe that one softer influential piece of content, that case study or something that really lets them see themselves with our product or our organization and why we can help fix that problem. Now we've put all of those education pieces that when we ask for that demo, they've seen a problem, they've seen how we have a solution to that. And when we say, hey, would you like to see a personalized demo of how we can make this work for you? It starts to become a little bit easier for them to say, hey, yeah, you know what? I do want to give up mm -hmm. a half hour or an hour of my time and, and kind of see if this might be a good fit. We've given them some more background too, where when we have that conversation, we have a more educated prospect or buyer that we're handing over to our sales team instead of like, hey, we're calling you out of the blue because you downloaded a white paper two minutes ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which could be a complete turnoff instead. You don't, you yeah. don't have a buyer that's, that knows what's happening. They're like, why are you calling me? We've mm -hmm. set the stage for that. We've educated them along the way. And we've told the story of our organization through the content that we've given them. Um, so that's, that's where that center, central piece of the, the nurture starts to build too, is, is that story and that education and that journey that we want to take these people mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. as a part of our nurture strategy. Totally. I, I, I like the 411 method and, or like some people call it, use it like 311. And we, we did that like the early days at Marketo, um, John Miller would talk about it like publicly. And I think having those like four pieces of, you know, kind of like educational content, maybe one, you know, offer maybe something talking about your product and another one doing a hard ass. Like, I think it, it tells, gives you the chance to, you know, warm up the prospect, but also does something now that I think is key where we don't really know exactly where someone is along the funnel, um, you know, in their buying stage, a lot of people will do a ton of their research before they even fill out a form. And so from a nurture standpoint, you, but then there's people who maybe just download one thing and don't really know much about you. And so without having data points, like intent, you need something to kind of surface the people who do are, are interested and maybe are ready to take a demo and maybe learn about your product versus people who really just need to learn about you. And so having that chance, even within your nurture, a little bit front to like do the demo is great because then you can kind of capture that, um, interest that maybe if you didn't have that, even there in your nurture, you're not. So I, I, I love that approach. And we talk about that a lot with our clients too. So um, there's, there's also so much more that goes into that too. You know, you yeah. mentioned the intent piece. So that's where your marketing ops, people are looking at things like your scoring models or mm -hmm. where you may have places along the way. If people aren't engaging, you're looking at those lead scores and you're not seeing interaction or engagement where maybe you start to look at things like remarketing. If they mm -hmm. had come in from a LinkedIn lead gen form, for example, well, we know that's where they're at. Maybe we throw some of that content into a remarketing strategy. So our, our nurture as a whole can really start to build and have a lot of different layers on it that are completely separate from the content piece. Um, so yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot that, that bringing those people to the top that are really engaged is, is a key part of having a great scoring model in place too, and collaborating with your sales team along the way. Yeah. How do you think about um, when you mentioned defining the audience in the, in the first step, how do you think about kind of the, the audience's behavior 
that you're using potentially to trigger into different nurtures or lack of any kind of explicit interest. Um, I know we're going to get into kind of like things people do wrong later on, but oftentimes there's this kind of people think there's a shortcut where we can just add cold data into a nurture and then like as soon as they click we'll hand them over to sales kind of thing to what christy was saying it's like we just want to get this mql so as soon as we see someone click we'll send it over to sales but what i'm hearing from both of what you two said is you're more putting the control in the hands of of the prospect and in the, in the audience like they're able to consume the content they're able to consume you're giving them opportunities to maybe like request a demo and move through into a sales conversation when they want whereas like sometimes it seems like um you know marketers will want to do it their way and they want to force kind of like the the journey on the the person and then as soon as they see any interest even if it's been the first interest and they just got this cold name originally it's like okay let's get them to sales now like I'd love to hear your thoughts around kind of that conflict and how you manage that especially when you have you're working on these nurture strategies with like other marketers and they all have different opinions on how to do this. Yeah. And there's, there's two pieces to that, right? The first is not jumping to the gun too quickly. It's kind of like showing up with an engagement ring on the first date. You've got this name from, you know, who knows where, um, Hey, they opened an email. Oh my God, let's call them. Like that's, that's a big turnoff. If you show up on a first date and somebody's like, hi, will you marry me? You're like, whoa, <laughs> hey, I don't know you like that. Like that's a little too much. And um, if they say yes, then you should also, you should be watching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the same type of, of, of way to look at that relationship, right? You know, coming on too strong and too fast that it, it, you almost come into like, okay, that's too aggressive. That's desperate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so taking that time to, to build that nurture strategy, strategy, I think is important. Um, but you also mentioned the, the audience and the segmentation. Now, I think for that, um, that's where a little bit of maybe that intent or prior engagement can come into play. Mm -hmm. If an entry point for our nurture is a page that's specific to a certain product, you know, maybe we've got multiple products that we offer or a service, um, that could be a guideline to, okay, this could be the potential content that they're interested in. And maybe those could be our triggers is what they engage in uh, to determine what, what type of content we're putting in front of them based on what we've seen. It could also be, you know, for example, my, my in-house organization two roles ago, we did do things like trade shows where somebody would stop by the booth, but we had five different sort of pillars or product offerings within our organization. And for a lot of those leads, we might scan a badge, but if we didn't have something to know what product they were interested in, we didn't really know. Um, so often in that case, we, we started with our nurtures that maybe our first email was pretty generic, but we would actually mm-hmm. have like three CTAs related to each of the mm-hmm. main product types. And then based on what they clicked, determined where they went. So now we've let them self-identify their area of interest as a part of that follow-up. What we found from that actually was, was quite interesting. The people who were engaging in our first email or two, our generic ones, and self-identifying, our first nurture, you know, if they didn't engage, they went through and got a couple more pieces of generic before we you know, kind of asked them and let them go on their way. And we saw the pretty average metrics that you'd expect to see for emails, you know, like the roughly 20% open, you know, average mm-hmm. click to opens as well. But what we found is the people that we let self-identify who gave us their product of interest, who clicked from the first one and then got something very targeted to 
that product, we were seeing opens and click-throughs upwards of 80% for those nurture mm -hmm. streams. And the people who engaged continued to engage because we were putting things in front of them that mattered to what they were interested in. Um, and it was actually really great. We held out a sample size that we were able to look at who we nurtured, who we didn't, what they did. Um, and it, just the lift on revenue was, you know, 30% or greater for some of those people compared to people who weren't given something that was highly targeted. So we definitely expanded that strategy. Um, but I think it, it was a, a key indicator of how something that can be really relevant to an audience can, can drive interaction, but also drive pipeline and drive revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And so taking that and we talk about relevant content and something that's relevant, can you walk us through kind of developing a content plan? Cause I also know that for some marketers, maybe their org isn't as developed and they maybe are looking at, okay, they're thinking we don't have enough content to work with, or how do we get our content organized so that we can do this cool thing, like what Brooke said, where people can identify and we can have personalized streams and, um, you know, where do we start and do you have any tips or tricks for those who are starting to develop that content library and how do you, or do you have any like classifications that you do when you're developing that? Yeah. If, if you have a built out content library already, awesome. You're one step ahead in the game. <laughs> um, I always like to have some sort of a spreadsheet that has the URLs of the content that we have, the names, of course, of the content, but also what is the content type? Is it a blog, an infographic, a white paper, a case study? But then adding an additional layer, who is the audience? What mm -hmm. segmentation or what industry would this be targeted to? And also what stage of the funnel? So is this that non-biased educational type content that would be good for an awareness stage of the funnel? Is this got a little bit of bias to it that might be more mid-stage or is this a case study type of thing where we've got a lot of heavy bias of like hey why were the greatest things since sliced bread come do business with us um that would be late stage funnel content if you don't have something like that to start from maybe you're coming into an organization that's not had that especially if you're the first content marketing hire um it might seem daunting to say like hey where does this all live you know does it mm -hmm. do we have some on an, our internal drives but especially you know our website maybe we have all of these pages and a site map like that could feel very manual there are some great tools out there that we used to use a lot at the agency Sitebulb and screaming frog um screaming frog is a, a favorite of mine love the name by the way <laughs> um, but what you can do is you can actually crawl your organization's website with that and scrape out those urls look for things that have um, in the url resource, blog, that type of thing that could be mm. great content for you to draw from. And you've taken away a bit of that manual work that would go with sitting and going through every single page on your blog. Now you've got an export that you can start from and you can work into now that persona and funnel stage piece of it. Once you have a framework like that to start from your content library, if you layer that with what you've already thought about for your nurture, who your audience is and what your goals are, you can look at those two pieces together and start to see, okay, if I were to tell this as a story about our organization, how to educate our customers, what content do I have for each persona and each funnel stage that can start to come into play here? Is there some content here that's good content that's a little bit aged and might need to be you know, repurposed or refreshed? 
Or are we seeing gaps? Do we have a lot of awareness stage content for this targeted persona, but nothing that's more mid or late stage, or maybe a certain persona, all we have is mid to late stage. And we might want to consider building out some awareness content for that audience. It starts to give us, it's almost like a content gap analysis, right? Mm -hmm. We can, we can see if we're telling this story, where do we have pages ripped out of the book? Where are their chapters missing? Then we can start to work with our content team or if we work with an agency to build content to really fill that out and, and make sure that we're telling a high quality and cohesive story from end to end. First off, Screaming Frog might be the best best name of a company I've ever heard. But, <laughs> um, but what I love about what you're saying, um, and it's kind of like a kind of an overarching point about everything I'm hearing is, um, you know, you, you're in marketing ops, but you're really thinking about marketing and mm -hmm. like the customer experience and the business. You're not just thinking about, I need to, you know, fix my folder structure in Marketo or like do this technical mm -hmm. thing or whatever, you know, like you're, you're really like looking outside of your tech stack. You're looking at your content. You're matching the content to your personas and your buyers. And you're, you're like doing a lot of jobs that kind of, um, some, I feel like some marketing ops people, they don't feel like they, they should do or they're maybe not empowered to do right because but you're really being proactive and you're you're providing like this service to mm -hmm. all of your other kind of internal stakeholders on the marketing team and I feel like that should be a huge part of a, per a marketing operations person's job right yeah. you can't just go live in your tool and be in this little silo you've got to be looking out and supporting the rest of the team and it's actually one of the reasons why I worry a bit one of my one concerns with revenue ops and if marketing ops ends up being in revenue ops is you lose, you get, you could end up being disconnected from your marketing team. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you wouldn't be allowed to go and review the content and build a content map and then try and find out where there's content gaps and stuff like that. That could be a whole other podcast and story in itself, but I just wanted to call that out because it's, I feel it really does separate kind of different marketing ops people like the people that are proactive are going out and kind of doing maybe sometimes more than their job description and going out and really providing this additional service to the team and really kind of doing everyone's job at the same time as their own as opposed to just being okay I just live in this tour and I don't do anything else outside of that you know yeah. um do you have any opinions on that as well yeah, you know, I think it's it's a pretty big mix. You have some marketing operations people that came from a more traditional marketing role um, mm -hmm. that fell into this because it was interesting and they love it. You have some that are very technical and very data focused. Um, you have some that, yeah, tend toward more the finance area. So I, I feel like marketing ops as a whole is, um, it's a very broad umbrella term for a lot of different skill sets and personality types and and to say, you know, when you see a job listing for marketing operations, it could vary so much from one yeah. organization to another. Um, for me, I've always liked to have a hand in it from the marketing side because I, you know, I also like to look at things from, from the customer experience type perspective mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be the one in there building it in Marketo, I want to make sure that my emails are, are usable, accessible, mm -hmm. um, you know, so looking at, at layouts, kind of things that might be more on the creative side but layouts, color usage, font usage, styling, um, but then all of the things that are the actual true accessibility, image alt text, text only versions, um, that type of thing. I think that's very important for a marketing operations person. Uh, in addition, you know, 
sure your content person might be the primary driver of creating this nurture, but you're going to be going in there and you're going to be building it. You're going to be setting the logic of if this person's already seen this, what should they get instead? Uh, so mm -hmm. you should be an important part of this conversation because mm -hmm. you're, you're setting those rules. You're building that. What point do we funnel this to sales? What point do we sync this out to another platform for remarketing? How does this play into our lead scoring model? Who do these sales alerts go to when someone requests a demo or what demo page are we driving to? There's a lot of things that an operational technical builder has a hand in here that I think if you if you have a voice or or at least sit in and listen in the earlier pieces, you start to get an understanding of the why, the who, the what mm -hmm. happens. And, and you can start to build that experience. You can learn those things. And then those proactive pieces come into play of like, hey, I say that this nurture isn't really hitting the targets that it used to, because you're in there looking at the data. Now you might feel more empowered to go back to your content team and say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing this trend in our nurture. Maybe we could talk about doing a refresh or doing something a little bit different here, because you're going to be closer mm -hmm. to the data. But if you were also closer at the beginning and understood the story and the why, you're going to be able to have better conversations too with your internal stakeholders. Totally, yeah. I mean, it's, it should be a collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. It should... And that's kind of the sometimes the difference too. It's like, are you a strategic partner to the marketing team in the business or are you an order taker? Are people going to come with you with email content and say, build this nurture exactly like this? Or are they going to, are you going to be part of that conversation? And like you said, you're closest to the data, bringing data to that conversation to help guide how that strategy should play out. Maybe you're bringing kind of other parts of the data, like the, the segmentations and the volume of data that you have for different personas and how you should be able to target. So I think it is, it's such an important point though, because it is what's going to continually kind of evolve marketing operations as a strategic profession for people that to be in, if you are pushing your way into those conversations. And I think, you know, you probably do it naturally coming from the consulting world. Yeah. Like it's that, it's kind of the consultant, you're this internal consultant almost for your team. Yeah. Um, but I think other people, if you're hearing this, I, I really encourage you to take that approach. And yeah. if you're not invited to those conversations, try and get in them and provide value and you know, prove your worth because it shouldn't just be, you know, let's kick it over to the fence to mops and mm -hmm. just get them to do it. It should be marketing operations is helping us to figure out the best way to do this. I think you nailed it right there. That's uh, actually the the order taker. I've heard it lately referred to as the donut maker, um, yeah. which I got a yeah. good chuckle out of. Uh, you know, I think that starts to be the separation between marketing ops being just an actioner within the marketing team versus, as you said, the strategic partner. And once you're able to provide those insights, share that knowledge, be a part of those bigger conversations, that starts to look at you know, what does the organization view as MOPS value looking mm -hmm. down the road? So, you know, maybe you want to grow your team. You want more budget. You want more capabilities. You mm -hmm. want to, to advance the role of MOPS as a whole in your organization. You've got to be looking at it from a strategic level. Um, you know, and sometimes that can be the hard part. Often if you're, if you're a practitioner of one within an organization, a MOPS team of one, it can be hard because of just the general workload to be able to take that step out of build mode and into why mode. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can, it can be a tough transition to make sometimes. But, but it's such a, to your point though, to get more resources, like businesses, you know, they're not going to give you resources until you've proven that you kind of need the resources, right? Which is kind of harsh, but it's the truth. And 
you know, if you are, you have to kind of, you have to try and find a way. And I know it's really difficult if you are just like bogged down, you're just being sent all of these things and you are the kind of stuck in this donut maker type position that you just can't get out of. But if you can try or maybe leave that organization and go to another one, but, or just try to kind of get out, be more proactive, be part of those conversations, prove your worth, then it becomes a lot easier to get the resources that you want. And I know just saying it sounds, make it sound easy, but and it, I know it's hard. It's really hard, but like, it's definitely still worth trying. Yeah. I think it's a good segue into like the next question, because I think this is where ops people also have a chance is to really think about what, and this is based on your goals, but also focusing on results and then communicating those back to the marketing team or even the whole organization. And so, you know, from a nurture perspective and, you know, putting creating this nurture strategy that really is educating your prospects and your customers, you're seeing, reaping the benefits, you're maybe getting more conversions, you know, what, as you're starting to look at that, what are some of the like real benefits and returns, you know, the teams are getting and how do you articulate that? And, you know, and I think first speaking about the education part, like as you're looking at some of the success metrics, what are some of those? And what do you think is a good way to articulate that thought to the demand gen team? But also how do you roll this up into a bigger conversation to actually maybe send out to the whole revenue team? Because I think it's good to market, you know, your own marketing ops to the organization. So you do get that visibility of being strategic. Yeah, I think, you know, that's where having some sort of attribution or analytics strategy comes into play. Um, if you've got these people that are going through your nurtures, one of one of the key things that I always like to do is have that integrated, of course, with a Salesforce campaign. Um, then when you start to get some of that, like, hey, these we have these demo requests, right? We can flag those people. Um, we have that information over in Salesforce. We know that they were a success in our campaign. But then we start to see, you know, the opportunities. Mm -hmm. opening. So we can see what sort of pipeline is being influenced here. We can also look at how time and stage compares to people who weren't nurtured. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can split that off sort of that, that cohort analysis type of concept or, you know, keeping out a sample size. As I mentioned, my, my previous org, we were on, uh, well, two orgs now, um, we were on Microsoft Dynamics. So we didn't use campaigns. We didn't have that type of structure. So we kept out that data, um, did it all in a spreadsheet. We had a data analyst, um, but being able to have a sample size that wasn't nurtured, we could see, you know, what did, what did opportunities look like there? How did their time and stage compare? And are we seeing a bigger lift from those leads that are nurtured and going through this process compared to those who are not? Mm. Um, then when you can start to look at it from that perspective and see like, are these people moving from stage to stage faster? So are we accelerating our funnel? When they reach the opportunity stage or having that initial conversation, however, our sales team opens that opportunity or marks them as qualified, whatever that starting point is, are they progressing from there to opportunity to close one business at a faster rate? Or is our sales team having to spend more time on the phone talking with these people and educating them over the phone or over a screen share, whereas perhaps marketing had that opportunity beforehand? Um, that also, you know, as a, as a sort of secondary tangent too, those, those SDRs, those sales reps um, 
can be a great source of content for your nurture too. Mm -hmm. If when we're handing people off, they're getting the same types of questions each time, maybe that becomes the inspiration for a piece of content that we then add into our nurtures where we can start to, to bring that education piece before that handoff too and start to change those conversations even more. Um, so bringing that feedback into the process too. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's really the key piece. If you can sit back and you can say, Hey, this nurture was an influence on this much in pipeline, we can see the impact that lead nurturing can have. And then as we start to build out additional nurtures that are more segmented and more targeted, we can see like, Hey, does this general nurture perform or does this super targeted, highly segmented nurture that, you know, yeah, we put a lot of time and effort into, but if we're seeing a lot more in terms of revenue come from it, it's worth it to put that effort in. Because mm-hmm. we're getting, we're, we're delivering really relevant information to that audience. I'd love to double down on the, on the reporting where you said you actually like withheld people from the nurture versus the people that are in the nurture. And you looked at the comparison between those on, in terms of revenue and opportunities. Like, can you maybe talk about that a bit more? Because I think that's such an undeniable statistic, right? Like if you show that to the business, like they can't, yeah. sometimes when you show other you know, more like a W-shaped model attribution kind of data. It can kind of confuse people and they, it's, they, hard, they, they struggle to kind of maybe understand it. But that is like undeniable, right? Like these people went through the nurture, these people didn't. We saw, you know, 3x more opportunities out of these people than these people. Like, can you just go through kind of your methodology a bit more? Like what you experienced when you did try and, um, you know, you rolled that that data out to the team and you explain that data to the team just love to learn more about that because I think it's a really powerful method yeah and a lot of that's going to come to you know how you have your built structure in either Marketo or whatever your platform is Um, Marketo does it really nicely where you can set a random sample um, and put put people into a nurture or put them into a sort of of bubble right put them on a list and and protect them from going through that nurture say we don't want to nurture these people don't don't put them there Um, but you know, you certainly have to have just like if you think of your A/B testing or things like that, you've got to have a big enough sample size mm-hmm. for it to make sense. Um, but if you look at you know either the, the the volume over time or you know a great example, yeah, maybe you you did go to a trade show or an event and all of a sudden you have you know a couple thousand records um, that that you can do something with. Do hold that sample size out. Hold out ten percent. See what happens. Um, it might be, you know, a, a smaller sample size than doing something with your whole database, of course. Um, but if if you hold out that group of people, hold out that sample size, and kind of watch how their behavior manifests organically versus the ones that you kind of put, you know, a little cracker here and a little cracker here, <laughs> and, and kind of led them along the way. Um, yeah, now now you've got absolute statistics of hey, this is the impact that marketing can have on these records. This is this is people who kind of were left to their own devices, um, but this is what a difference looks like. And that's mm-hmm. where when you're starting to make those battles for more resources, you can say, hey, we want to do more of this. The stuff that's mm-hmm. working, the stuff that's doing good for the business, we need resources to do that. Yeah. Um, so when you've when you've got those side by side comparisons. It, it starts to make that an easier push up to leadership of why you should have more resources, whether that starts out with an external resource, contracting an agency for additional support, um, or moving into full-blown new headcount, you've, you've got a story and you've got data to stand on. 
Totally. hundred percent agree with that. I think that's great. Okay. So we only have a few minutes left, but I do want to leave time for the last question and do you need to leave everyone, but what do you think is one thing that marketers or marketing ops people are doing wrong when it comes to nurture, either from a strategy perspective or execution? Um, and maybe it's something that people are doing a lot, but, and why you think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think, you know, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but in, instead of having a story that you're telling along the way or a goal, um, and understanding how different behaviors can influence that along the path, putting the same message in front of everyone, send after send after send after send, um, you know, as I mentioned, it, it kind of takes you more from nurture to like that, that badgering, right. The, mm -hmm. the constant, um, the annoyance where, where you unsubscribe. And I feel like I see, I see a lot of that in my own inbox, um, you know, where the first interaction is immediately schedule a demo. I don't really know enough about you. I'm not ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's a very common piece, but also understand what other interactions might come into play where we might diverge the path of the nurture, um, move them into a different nurture, or maybe stop interacting altogether. And mm -hmm. I think for, for a lot of marketing apps teams and a lot of, um, organizations, it's okay. Our goal is the demo. We're just going to drive right toward that and, you know, ignore everything else along the way. Uh, so I think, you know, taking, taking a step back and understanding what, what the story is to be told, I think is a key part of that. So do you think if, um, if you are going to do one of those annoyance campaigns, just create a new channel in Marketo, call it annoyance and <laughs> roll with <Probably>. that. <laughs> <laughs> If you're being forced to do it, okay, we're going to create a channel for annoyance because this is just going to annoy people. Yeah. You know, it's so true. And it's, it's, so, it's so obvious, but like so, so many people get it wrong because they don't think about it from an it empathy or like to think about of, it. True. Yeah. And just execution too fast. So that's just demo, 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 or just kind of, yeah, yeah. lack of thought. We, we need to get something out. We need to get it in front of this audience. It's, it really becomes more a batch and blast, but a repeated mm -hmm. batch and blast. Yeah. Yeah. Nurture on. <laughs> Yeah, um, which is it's it was even worse than just things. a single. <laughs> yeah, it's it, they are. They're different things. They're different goals. They're different strategies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, <laughs> repeatedly email blasting as a as a tactic um, is very different. So I mean, maybe in that case, you could count count how many times they opened your email before they unsubscribed. That could be a good reporting metric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one final thing too, because I think some, some marketing ops or marketers on here are like getting, you know, early stage and maybe they don't have a lot of content. And I think that that isn't always the case to maybe just not have a nurture strategy in general. I think anything can be educational. Like you can even take, you know, these days people have a newsletter mentality. They even like reading what they're meant to be learning just from the email itself. So if you want to pull from, even, you know, quotes from a customer from G2 for later stage or for things early stage, you know, pull in third party research, but then talk about that in a way that you're providing something insightful, you know, be creative. It doesn't have to be a white paper. It doesn't have to be an infographic, like, you know, the, the email itself can be the content that they're ingesting. And so I want to challenge marketers who are saying they don't have enough content when they're doing that content planning to really think beyond that yeah. as well. Great. Well, this is such a good conversation. I love 
you know, you brought so much value, I think, to our listeners. So thank you so much, Brooke, um, for joining us today. Um, if people want to learn more about um, Brooke, you can follow her on LinkedIn. We'll include the link to her profile. I know you share a lot there and you're part of a lot of different communities. Um, also do a lot of um, educational like webinars and stuff through Marketo and other groups. So, you know, look out for um, Brooke and yeah, anything else to add there? Any? No, thank you so much for, for having me today. This was a ton of fun and really appreciate being here. Okay, perfect. Thanks everyone for joining Forward Thinking today. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and we'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>